0: This week's edition of Assembly Call Radio is coming right up. Before we get to that, quick word from this week's sponsor, SeatGeek. Let's start with a question. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It's as if they're so big that they feel like they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. So what if their site's annoying and doesn't have the events you want? The real question is how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually care So, why is SeatGeek better than the rest? Well, a quick look at the App Store shows over 50,000 five-star reviews. How's that for customer satisfaction? And they get these reviews because they provide a better process. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web, then it rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10, and finally SeatGeek displays these deals and the tickets on an interactive seat map so you can see exactly where you'd be sitting. SeatGeek breaks down the details. Green dots mean good deals, red dots are overpriced, and every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. As I've told you many times, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It is by far the fastest and easiest way to find tickets. Uh, I found tickets for a concert my wife and I are gonna go to there. I'm gonna do it again later this summer because we're gonna try and go to a lot of concerts this summer, Uh, so I'll be using the SeatGeek app uh, when I get those, and that's why I recommend that you should as well. And here's the thing, SeatGeek will even give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. So download the SeatGeek app today and use the promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase. All right, and now here is this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most urgent topics in the never dull world of Indiana basketball. This is our 120th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 512th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, May 2nd, 2019. I'm your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud. Banner Moment.
1: And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down.
0: This week's banner moment occurred mid-afternoon on Tuesday, when Archie Miller and his staff extended a scholarship offer. No, this wasn't the offer to Anthony Leal or Trey Galloway, to in in-state prospects who received offers on Monday, each of whom project to be excellent four-year program players. Now, don't get me wrong, those were important offers. I'm glad Archie finally felt convinced enough to extend them. Indiana would be fortunate to get either player, and both Leal and Galloway can be important pieces on Big Ten winning teams, even potentially banner hanging IU teams. And to build a successful program, especially one that wins consistently over many seasons, you have to have those kinds of pieces. But to win at the highest level, you also need to have centerpieces, elite players around whom everyone else can orbit, perhaps even from the first day they step foot on campus. Usually for Indiana, these are five-star prospects from in-state, guys like Yogi Ferrell, Cody Zeller, Eric Gordon, Jared Jeffries, and on and on the kinds of players around whom Indiana's best teams have always been built. But as spoiled as we are by our fertile recruiting ground, the state of Indiana doesn't always produce top-level talent. That's why I was encouraged by Indiana's Tuesday scholarship offer to Dawson Garcia, a five-star forward out of Minnesota who plays for Race Thompson's old AAU team and who already has a relationship with Tom Ostrom based on Ostrom's deep ties to the area. Now, does Indiana actually have a realistic chance of landing Garcia? I don't know. Those same connections didn't help the Hoosiers have a lasting involvement in Matthew Hurt's recruitment. The difference may be that Hurt was a top 10 player, whereas Garcia is currently ranked 28th, so it's still a long shot, but say Christian Watford's range as opposed to Dame Lillard's. Garcia is one of a handful of highly ranked out-of-state prospects in the class of 2020 that Archie has zeroed in on, with the rapidly emerging Caleb Love and steady Eddie Ethan Morton being the two others. As always, don't get too excited about any recruitment until official visits happen. Morton has taken one already. Love and Garcia have not. Regardless, you have to take your shots. The state of Indiana has been loaded with native five-star talent the last two years, and Archie earned commitments from two of the three. The class of 2021 appears ready to pick this trend back up with Christian Landner and uh, Caleb First, both of whom Archie has made a priority. But the in-state class of 2020 is more of an enigma. And when that happens, you only have one choice. Identify the four- and three-star players who fit the culture and roster you're trying to build, and then look elsewhere for smart opportunities to pluck elite out-of-state talent and bring them to Bloomington. It's not always going to work. In fact, it's most often not going to work, at least in the program's current state. But as the old poster in my room used to remind me, you always miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Archie is taking his shot with Garcia, Love, and Morton, and who knows? Maybe one of them ends up being the next Thomas Bryant or DJ White or Dane Fife, an unlikely elite out-of-state recruit who ends up leaving an indelible impression on IU basketball. Time will tell. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. Andy and Ryan are both out this week, so that means it's just me and the newest full-time member of our hosting rotation, He's a longtime high school basketball coach in Indiana, the founder of the Delphi Bracketology Club, and the host of Sports Talk with Tonsoni, and he is prone to random outbursts of Norman Dale quotes. My team is on the floor. Coach, it's Tonsoni time. What's on your mind?
1: Well, Jared, thanks for having me on, and I'm going to piggyback the the recruiting. I would encourage our listeners at times to write out death charts. Um, I've done this in, in my coaching career that you write them out for several years out, and I think that will give you, uh, the listener and us as fans, a little bit of insight to, to where Archie is going. And for for my purposes, it's point guard, wings, and posts. And where how many of each of those players are going to be needed. And I just believe you're always going to have a need for wing players. And, and with Galloway and Leal being offered, as well as some of the out-of-state guards, you're going to see uh, three scholarships available maybe, maybe four, depending on what happens um, this year to fill the current openings. And so you look, maybe a point guard and you have some out-of-state offers that are going to point guards. And then you have the wings and then you have Garcia, who's a post player because you're going to need to replace Davis and eventually a brunk down down the road. So when you look at that in a, in a huge manner, you kind of get the idea. And then it also helps me to understand when we don't get a commitment from a young man, that there are, there are other offers on the table and there's other ways that, that Archie can go with, with his offer. So this time of year is fun because we all watch the, the tapes that come out on the various uh, media sites and, and we try to glean what we want as fans and what Archie's looking at and whether this uh, highlight tape looks good or this kid's shot's getting off quicker But that's fun. That's the fun part of being a fan. And that's why we have the show in order to be able to talk about that. And at some point, we've got to be able to trust the coaching staff to do that. And then the coaching staff has to win um, in order to keep our trust. So it's the name of the game, and it's a lot of fun at this time of the year.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, here's what we're going to talk about this week. We will talk more recruiting. A slew of offers went out this week. We're going to run them down. Then we will continue our analysis from last week of Archie Miller's second year at Indiana, looking specifically at how the offense and defense progressed. And then we'll answer your questions. So we've got a few of those and we'll answer those at the end, uh, as we always do. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. Before we get to all of that, let's talk about sleep. And why you need to buy your next mattress from our friends and fellow IU grads and fans at Comfort Option. First off, they will actually come to your house. Seriously, if you live in Indy or Bloomington, you can schedule Comfort Option's revolutionary in-home mattress store service.
1: There's a van with a bed in it, and they just put the mattress
0: together right there, and you lay on it. You decide if you like it or not. Plus... They don't charge you
1: extra to come build the mattress at your house.
0: They don't. They don't charge you extra. And breaking news for indie residents custom mattresses will now for the first time ever be available for customers to try out in the heart of indianapolis the city that comfort option has called home since 1952 how because comfort option now has a store in circle center mall
1: it's a big freaking deal
0: so make sure that you check them out the next time you're at circle center and of course if you don't live in Indy or bloomington you can still order one of their alpha mattresses online and they'll deliver it anywhere in the u.s and to top it all off comfort option offers a 3090 satisfaction guarantee to make sure you love your mattress bottom line they want the mattress buying experience to be more pleasant than it's ever been the whole thing start to finish went incredibly smoothly So go to comfortoption.com right now and either order your alpha mattress or schedule your in-home mattress store service today. And when you do it, use the promo code assembly to get $50 off your purchase. Again, comfortoption.com, promo code assembly for $50 off. Get the mattress that's right for you. Don't leave your sleep to chance. It's too important. We want you to live. Yes, we do. Can we get some basketball, please? Okay. Back to talking basketball, coach. Let's talk a little bit recruiting here uh, to cap segment one. Before we jump in and talk about the class of 2020, let's talk a little bit more about the class of 2019. There's not a lot going on in the class of 2019 right now. Lester Canonez is obviously the name that's kind of on everybody's radar. Trendon Watford is too, but I haven't really heard much to really make me believe that Indiana still has a legit shot there. So Canonez is the guy. Uh, You know, he made some waves this week on Memphis radio talking about how Indiana and Memphis had kind of become his leaders. He just had an in-home visit today with Archie Miller, and I read up on that uh, on Peagues. Jeff Rabjohns wrote about it, so you can read it there. That's their premium content, so I don't want to spoil it. But it does sound like things are, you know, at least continue to progress well with that recruitment. Uh, Seems like it's kind of down to, you know, Memphis, LSU. Uh, I think Maryland is still involved there for Canonez. So that's the name to keep an eye on here as Indiana looks to round out the class of 2019. He's a really good shooter, not an elite shooter, but a really good shooter. I saw that Moss from Iowa is going to be a graduate transfer. He's an interesting name because he's a guy who's a really good shooter. Uh, Samari Curtis, a guy who originally committed to Xavier, then I think went to Cincinnati, and maybe he went in different directions. Uh, but he, both those coaches obviously left. He's reopened his his recruitment. Indiana was involved there. No idea if they'll get back involved with it. Um, but we still wait to see what happens with the class of 2019, Canonez being the biggest name, and then we'll see what else Indiana does. What are you – you know, we got this question from J.D. What is the best worst-case scenario for this spring recruiting period? We'll talk a little bit about 2020. Don't expect to get any commitments there. But for 2019, as, as things stand right now, as things have developed, what do you think is the best-case scenario?
1: You know, the best-case scenario, uh, y- you need to balance talent uh, with, with your glue guys or your culture guys. And and you said the centerpiece is, is the term that you used. I think the best case scenario is, is getting Canonius to say yes and, and come in and, and fill some of that uh, role, that Romeo, that scoring role uh, that Romeo left. And, and if he could just shoot above average, we, uh, Indiana, needs shooters. I think that's the best case. And then maybe adding uh, a graduate tw- transfer that we're not aware of that they're working uh, with behind the scenes, waiting to see uh, what Lester will decide to do. I, I think that's the best case scenario. That brings talent. Uh, that brings depth and, and provides competition, and I think that's the that's the best uh, case scenario at this time. I don't think that that has to happen in order for IU to move forward, um, but I, I I think that would be re- really nice additions to the program.
0: Do we want to be winning recruiting battles with Memphis and LSU just to play devil's advocate for a second? <laughs> well, there's
1: there, there's something to be said, and you know. Uh, before the show, you, you said something that I think was very important. Recruiting's about relationships more than it's about uh, this program versus that program. We're, we're quite a few years away from getting back to if we ever can get back to where it's, oh, Duke, uh, North Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas. They call and it's wow and, and the players go there. That's just, that's just realistic. So, you know, th- those are the teams we want to be competing with. And we are to some extent. We lost Brooks to Kentucky. We lost Harris to North Carolina. So that's where I think we've moved up uh, since Archie's been here, and that could be my Archie-colored glasses. But, um, you know, Memphis and LSU are good basketball programs. They have good coaches, and the pipeline to the NBA is important at Memphis. That's hard to beat when you have Penny Hardaway and Miller and, and those guys. It just depends on, you know, playing time. You get seven top freshmen in, and this happens at Kentucky. Sometimes good players go, and they die on the bench. And so that might factor in in Lester's uh, decision. Uh, I think that's the only way he ends up at Indiana if he feels that he can be more of an impact player and get developed uh, you know by our coaching staff as opposed to compete for seven freshmen at Memphis.
0: Yeah. Well, as we're going to talk about when we get into segment two, and as everybody knows, shooting is a big issue. So anybody with a pulse who can make, you know, 35 percent of their outside shots, we're welcoming them with open arms. So we'll wait to see what Canonez does. Class of 2020 coach. You know, I talked at the top of the show about guys like Caleb Love and Ethan Morton. I believe Namari Burnett is another guy in that class who also has an offer from Indiana. Haven't heard a ton of chatter about him in relation to Indiana, but that's another name to know. And then the five other offers, I believe, that went out this week, you've got the one to Darson Garcia that I mentioned, Trey Galloway, Anthony Leal, and then a four-star forward, uh, Matthew Cross from the East Coast, He's like kind of a six-seven guy, a good shooter. It'll be real easy to make the comparison to Colin Hartman, although I think he's got a little bit more of an inside game than Hartman. Um, You know, haven't seen him play a ton, obviously. And then a a point guard that got an offer, RJ Davis, a shorter point guard, but you know, really good scorer who who really has kind of emerged and his reputation has really kind of taken off. Um, You know, James sending a question: What's up with all the offers? Seems like a lot. All I would say to that is, it's all relative. Like, it might feel like a lot for a two or three day span, but you have to look at what has gone into these offers. I mean, Indiana has watched these guys, Trey Galloway and Anthony Little, they've been watching a lot. You know, these other guys, you know, Cross and Davis, they've blown up a little bit, and the coaches were able to see them this week, saw something they really liked. You know, sometimes you do have to pull the trigger on an offer when you like a guy, but they're not just shotgunning, you know, just. You know, whatever the right metaphor would be, just spraying offers, you know all around, which is what we've seen before. So it might seem like there's been a flurry of them, But I think that's more about the recruiting calendar and how this was the evaluation period. And with some of these guys, you kind of have to, you know, you got to give them the offer, kind of get out of the race because at some point you know that's just what it's going to take. And I think you saw that with guys like Leland and Galloway and some of these other guys who are trying to get in before they totally, you know maybe blow up even more. But I don't think it's a lot of offers. I think you just got some now because of the recruiting calendar. But this really seems like a staff that takes their time, finds the guys they really want to zero in on, and then they really go all out for those guys. So I would caution feeling like, you know, Indiana isn't, I guess, being respectful with the scholarship offers and what they mean, because I think that's been a staple of Archie's recruiting philosophy so far.
1: Yeah. And you see several uh, media members comment on that positively uh, versus the other approach of 30 or 40 offers. And then that's something I'm not quite aware of. Um, And maybe we can ask, you know, someone on this podcast or another show, what is the how do they get? offered is it an offer with conditional or offer now make your decision in a month or two or is it first come first serve uh what are the conditions on the offer i, I don't know to to share with our listeners i wish wish i did um but if you look at the eight that that we have listed here that you mentioned uh, love morton burnett garcia galloway leo cross and davis would we really be bothered if any of those were indiana hoosiers and and heck what i no. like yeah the answer is heck no um so there's eight and we have two we know of spots depending on what Archie does with the 2019 spots and if there's a graduate uh, transfer. So you're looking at two to four uh, options and there's eight players that we would really like to have. The, the question does come down to if, if Morton and Galloway and Leal. And even Cross, to some extent, are all in that wing. You know, two, three, four spot. Are they competing for spots? And then your Love, Burnett, R.J. Davis are point guard. So you're, are you going to get one of those three? Are you going to how many fit in? And do you need that post player? Uh, that Garcia would be. But all of these are exciting to me. Uh, some that I know a lot of because I'm in Indiana. Uh, the Indiana guys bring shooting and Leo, and they bring a competitiveness that was lacking in this program from the start of the season. From, from the people that talk to me, um, and and that's what Trey Galloway brings. Uh, mm-hmm. His shot is a little messed up right now, but again, he's a coach's kid. He knows how to work hard, and, and then is Trey Galloway uh, a McRoberts with a little bit more skill uh, coming into college? Uh, we love those kind of players that, that dive on the floor and do those kinds of things. So, in the two Indiana guys, I think you, you really can't go wrong, and it looked like Lee – Leo's shot was a little better in the small clip that I saw um, uh, of the p- previous weekend. Even though people said he didn't have a good weekend stat-wise, I thought his game looked better than the previous highlight films that I've seen. We're not getting any bad players here. So this this is exciting to me uh, to see what, what what we end up with in 2020.
0: Yeah, and I'll plug this week's edition of Podcast on the Brink, which you can check out at podcastonthebrink.com. Alex Bozich and John Sauber from thehoosier.com, both of whom have seen these guys play a lot. We talked about the strengths and weaknesses of those guys. So we won't go into it a ton here, although Coach, you touched on some. But they really gave detailed scouting reports of those guys, uh, along with Cross. Um, obviously, another guy who's known for a shooting, averaged 22 points a game in the EYBL. That's that's something. And when a lot of those are coming from outside, that'll you know raise your eyebrows. I think that's what happened to the Indiana coaches. So, be interesting to see what happens. We'll continue tracking it and you know analyzing it here as we go forward on the show. Uh, but yeah, coach, I mean, if Indiana gets two or three guys from that list, I think we're going to feel pretty happy there, about the 2020 class.
1: This list has pieces. And yeah. and if we've watched Texas tech and the Purdue's of this, uh, that aren't the top elite recruiters, they're putting pieces together and making deep runs in the NCAA tournament. The 2020 class just smells to me of pieces. And that's exciting to me to build that Indiana type of team that going forward. And, and that's, what's got me excited about, about this recruiting class.
0: Yep. Alrighty, coming up on the Assembly Call, we continue our evaluation of Archie Miller's performance during his second season in Bloomington. And this week we're going to focus all on the court. How worried should we be about the offense? Did the defense make progress that we can believe in? We're going to dive in and discuss. Stick with us during the Assembly Call.
1: What's going on is Christian Wofford. What's the only thing better than an epic buzzer beater? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join my guys, Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the Assembly Call after every IU game. Go Hoosiers. Thank you, Christian.
0: And you can find us after every IU game and every Thursday night at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to participate in our unedited live broadcast or watch those replays, then check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assemblycall. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And coach, last week, we started our kind of grading of Archie Miller, uh, which we do each offseason here. And we looked at, you know, a few different criteria to grade him on. And we both kind of we all came to the conclusion that we didn't really spend enough time talking about the on-court stuff, talking about the offense and the defense and the nuts and bolts stuff of on the court. So we basically decided to make this a part two and really dive into the offense and the defense. You know we all we got this question from JD too, which I think is you know, a nice jumping off point for this conversation. He said, "I've tried to resist my urges to overreact to Archie's offense, But qualitatively, it has looked horrible the last two years, and frankly, no fun to play in as a player. Do the numbers say anything else? Is there any reason to hope that this offense could at some point not be way below NCAA average? So I did dig into the numbers. We're going to get to that in a second, and I do think it suggests maybe a little bit something else. You know some things that we've talked about, but I wanted to get your initial thoughts on that question uh, that JD asked.
1: Well, you know when when points don't go on the scoreboard, JD and every one of us look to it as the offense is bad by design, and there's there's a lot of reasons why the offense uh, might might look bad. And, and I would urge JD and our listeners to keep resisting that urge to overreact. Uh, I think. If you go back to Archie's Dayton's team, he likes to run. And and we saw a lot of him urging of uh, pushing the ball, especially the second half of the season. And and his teams have really been good in transition and and put some points on the board. So the question for me then is, can that style play at the Big Ten? If not, then he needs to make an adjustment. And is is that the reason that the offense has been uh, not so good for two years? Is that a Dayton offense can't? work against the coaches and the players in, in the Big Ten, but he's got a staff there to help him with that. I tend to think that that will still work. Uh, I just think that it's still a, a point of getting the players in to fit that system. You need a good point guard in his system, and Finnessy and is that point guard but was injured this year, and in year one he didn't have his guys in. So I, I think we'll see that. And I also say this, that sometimes when you have a star player, um, subliminally, players will, you know, expect that star player to take over and lead them. And we we had a couple of them. And so I'm looking forward to next year having a little more free flowing offense. It does not have to go down through the post through Jawan. It does not have to go through Romeo on a pick and roll type of thing. And, and that might have been too much emphasis by Coach Miller, too. Uh, you saw Green and Durham open up late in the year when Romeo was not in there. So maybe that's a sign of the shooting and the offense to come. I thought in the NIT, the offense looked a little bit better. Again, not against the greatest of talent, but still good teams. So, you know, J.D., hold on uh, for a while and and see what happens when there's more balanced roster and and maybe a couple more shooters to stretch the floor.
0: Yeah. And let's talk about shooting, because that was obviously a huge issue with last year's team. We know it. I mean, the shooting percentages the last two years have just been Awful, you know, and so is this something that we just have to kind of expect with Archie Miller? Is he does he not know how to coach shooting is, you know, is this just an issue with his offense? Or is this, you know, a situation where, you know, the, the personnel, the skill level just hasn't been there to run the kinds of things that Archie wants to run. And obviously, he hasn't adjusted enough to get the results in each of the last two seasons. Well, and obviously, it's kind of a combination of all of it. But I looked at synergy to look at some of the numbers, and I focused specifically on the shooting numbers. And coach, I think we were both a little bit surprised by some of these numbers. And so I want to kind of hit them and let's try to figure out what these mean. So Archie Miller's teams have taken 77.8% of their jump shots from three-point range. Okay, so of the jump shots, 77.8% of them are are from three-point range. If we compare them to the last three years of the Tom Crean era, and I don't do this to compare the two coaches, but the last three years of the Crean era, Indiana was like 6th, 8th, and 25th in offense. So they fielded elite offenses. We know kind of what that looks like, at least from an efficiency standpoint, even if the turnovers drove us all crazy. But those were clearly offenses that understood the value of the three-point shot, which I've heard Archie, you know, criticized for. Well, Tom Crean's last three Indiana teams took 79.6% of their jump shots from three-point range. 796 compared to 778 You know, a few ticks higher for Tom Crean's teams, which makes some sense, given that they were better three-point shooting teams. But I think the conclusion here is that you know, Indiana's players do seem to understand where they should be shooting. Threes over twos and long twos. This appears to be properly valued in our offense, especially when you take into account the fact that, you know, we shot fewer of them because we didn't have many good shooters. Now, here's where I think the numbers get really interesting. This past season, coach, fifty-four point one percent of Indiana's catch and shoot opportunities were unguarded. All right. These numbers all according to synergy. In twenty eighteen, that number was forty two percent. For Tom Crean's final three teams, those numbers were 31.6%, 44.5%, and 35.5%. So, you know, I guess the question here is Has Archie Miller's offense actually created a higher proportion of unguarded three point looks than Crean's did? Or is this a reflection of defenses sagging off and leaving non shooters open? It's probably, you know, again, a little bit of a combination of both, but it is pretty interesting. But what is really interesting and kind of just makes you want to hit your head against the wall is just how bad Indiana has been at converting. So Indiana finished in the 40th percentile in 2019 and the 30th percentile in 2018 in efficiency on unguarded jump shots. So, I mean, we we just didn't make those, even though we got a higher proportion of them. Crean's final three years, 53rd percentile, 98th percentile, 99th percentile. So Indiana's players under Archie just can't make open shots, even when the offense delivers them or the defense defers to them. And it's the same thing on guarded jumpers, even more so. Indiana, the last two seasons, the third percentile and the 14th percentile in making guarded jumpers. Coach, listen to these numbers for Crean's last three teams: 92nd percentile, 94th percentile, 84th percentile. Elite at making guarded jump shots. And the last two seasons, Indiana, 41st and 11th. This is in terms of overall percentile in making jumpers off the dribble. Crean's final three years: 90th percentile, 95th percentile, 80th percentile. So. You didn't need me to tell you this, but a huge part of the difference in the offenses between the last three years under Creed and these first two years under Archie is the ability to make shots, right? And so, you know, you compare those seasons, you know, and Indiana has had roughly the same jump shot distribution and a higher proportion of open looks. But the Hoosiers are just making those shots at substandard rates and in turn then kind of reducing the volume of jump shots in favor of post and paint looks, which is why, you know, and because the way defenses are playing Indiana, you know, you've seen Indiana going inside more. So this does not absolve Miller from blame because player development and player acquisition are his responsibility. But it does, I think, coach, suggest that personnel and skill right now, two years in, are bigger contributors to the offensive struggles than scheme. Now, free throw shooting, that's been an issue for all of Archie's teams. Not sure what to say about that. You know, Archie's teams had never really offensive rebounded well. Those are places where you can kind of add extra efficiency. And I don't know if that's going to improve. But I do think when Archie has more time to get his guys in and, you know, recruits better shooting, recruits to the holes on his roster, I think just being able to make open shots and being able to make a few guarded shots is going to make everything else look a lot better. And I think, despite you know more misgiving, and I've been clear about this, I have more misgivings about the Archie Miller era now, certainly than I thought I would two years in, but I still firmly believe that it's more about getting the right guys in and let's develop some better shooting with the guys that we have, than it's just, oh man, this is a horrible scheme and Archie forgot how to coach offense. And I think the numbers really bear that out.
1: Those numbers show that the offense is not the problem, that it, it it's a combination of things. And and I'm going to take this a different turn, Jared, and you might fall off your seat there. Um, Tom Crean was really good at encouraging players to feel comfortable shooting. Uh, I think that's one of his greatest assets, and, and I, I'm not a, a Tom Crean fan at all, but he loved offense. He loved tempo, and, and I'm not sure there was a bad shot in the Crean era. Uh, and, and or a bad pass. Or or a bad pass. Gentlemen, go play. And when you play relaxed and easy, I think you're going to see a lot of higher numbers. Plus, he had some NBA talent. I mean, Yogi and Blackman's playing overseas and Thomas Bryan and OG. You know, so that goes to your point, which is very true. Um, and, and it doesn't really say much. Guys got to hit open shots. If you're in college, you got to hit open shots. And that's, that's ridiculous numbers. But Archie is a tough guy to play for. I think he is. And I think that's ultimately why we as fans like him. The defensive numbers we'll talk about here in a little bit have gotten better. That's what Indiana basketball is, tough defense. And then what we haven't had is, is that offensive flow. And sometimes when you're – I would imagine if you're Al Durham and you want to impress a new coach that didn't recruit you, you might hesitate for just, is this the shot I want to take? Is this not the shot? I thought when you saw Al Durham not worry about makes and misses or if I'm right or wrong, his his shot looked a lot better and a lot smooth. Look what happened when he – when Archie finally found a way and meshed with Devontae, Devontae was playing a lot more free and easy. And I think that's when percentages go up. So I think Coach Miller, as tough as he is and wants good shots and is demanding on offense and getting his style in, he's got to make sure that he doesn't take confidence away. And it's not just about number of shots in the gym and developing shooters and Kenny coach shooting. Sometimes we as coaches, we take away that confidence with people understanding shot selection and get the ball to Romeo and get the ball here, all well intended by coaching staffs, but it could have some negative aspects, and I think that might be a reason, and that's another reason I'm optimistic, because next year, you know, yeah, you want to go to TJD and and some of those, but now it it could be a little more free-flowing, and and Archie has to maybe went through a learning uh, experience with that in in dealing with a, a super player like that, and I'm not, I don't know, but I I know that I've done that. I've taken confidence away from kids. And I ever said, if I got to be a head coach again, uh, offense is going to be a lot more free flowing and you get a steal, you can shoot anything you want. And and if you play defense, go down. I don't care if it's a 30 footer, jack it up and go. And and when you play free, the shots are going to go up. And so I, I wonder if that had something to do with it as well.
0: It might, and I think the other thing as we transition to defense is that there has been a big focus on instilling a culture of defense in this program for the first two years. You've probably heard me talk about it, that when you look at the history of packline line teams, the defense usually progresses the first couple of years, and the offense stays stagnant or gets worse. You often see you know, pack line teams, the offense really starts to grow a little bit in year three and then definitely four and five, and with the defense, you typically see a big jump in year three, which should be what we see coming in next year. And so, you know, I saw Jay mention on YouTube, you know, it's a lot easier to make shots when you don't have to worry about playing defense on the other end. Yeah, that's you know, it's not and a bad you point, actually. You,
1: you get what you emphasize. Uh, yeah. that's, a, that's a key saying in coaching. And, and when you're putting a lot of emphasis to get your defensive program in, uh, some of that offense may, may give until you get that program going. That's another reason for patience. Uh, it, it takes a lot to get all sides uh, going at, at the way you want them to.
0: And and it, you know and to your point also when it comes to allowing guys to have confidence helping them build confidence in shooting i think it's important for coaches and ball handlers to have trust and trust has to be earned and i think for the first two seasons that Archie's been here you haven't seen a lot of trust you know with newkirk and robert johnson you know this is new players and new coaches it's going to be hard to build that trust you know devonte green obviously archie's you know those two guys have been kind of You know, clashing a little bit, you know, for for the last couple of years. Al was a new guy, Rob's a freshman. I think you're going to see a lot more trust between those three guys next year. And even with Armand Franklin, you know, who comes in as a guy recruited by Archie, you saw that trust with Rob and Archie early this season. And I think that trust with those guys who are going to be the main shooters is going to be a big factor on next year's team. Why I think the shooting will be better because there will be that trust. I think those guys will feel more free and that'll help. And that just takes time to build with a new coach. And I think you'll also, you know, see, I think, you know, the defense has a chance to be really good next year. You know, just you look at the numbers, you know, let's remember as, you know, as much as the offense has regressed. And again, this went from a team that was, you know, a top 30 offense three years in a row to, you know, being 92nd in 2018 and 82nd last year. So a slight tick up, but the defense last year was 65th or or two years ago was 65th and last year was 32nd. And those are big jumps from where it was, you know, previously and it was a it's a stark difference in styles between the two coaches and i i think that these first two years have shown kind of those growing pains now look at some point you got to start winning and i think years 3 and 4 is when you, i think you can really start grading a little bit harsher and we're getting there and i think that's probably coming out in the tone of our analysis some where we're you know not quite as willing to give the benefit of the doubt but i do still think it's i i don't think it's time for final judgments yet by any means especially on the offensive side of the ball And, you know, defensively, the numbers were buoyed by a very unsustainable free throw defense. But I also think we saw, you just saw guys more comfortable more often in the system. Whereas the first year, it felt like a lot more of a struggle, even though the numbers were a little bit better. And I think that's only going to get better because Archie's a good defensive coach. Guys have been in the system longer. He's recruiting to that system now. And so I think the defense will be even better next year, maybe a top 25 defense next year. And then let we'll to see where the offense goes. But do you did you see defensive changes that you believe in? Because that would be the real shame, is if after really focusing on it and emphasizing defense so much, if we're not ready to take a big step forward in year three, you know, that really is going to make what we had to suffer through these first two years a lot less worth it.
1: You know, I, I look back and and I I'm not sure that you could pin too many losses on a bad defensive performance, maybe a Michigan game here, maybe the second half at Maryland, uh, the Minnesota game, to every aspect of the game. But we beat a Final Four team twice. Why? Because we guarded Cassius Winston with a freshman point guard as well as we possibly can to hold him under his averages. Those those two defensive uh, game plans right there were were, were simply uh, amazing. Uh, almost, and I don't like almost, You you win or you lose, but we lost to Purdue. And Purdue was crazy good offensively this year. And that game in Bloomington uh, after, you know, the, you know, this is over moment or whatever Archie said, or this is a deal breaker. Uh, so I'm pretty happy with the defensive progression. And, and I think that has to come first. I think defensive teams win, uh, but you do need to score the basketball. And and you just can't stay 82nd uh, for the third and fourth year and and be moving the program ahead. That, that just needs to be, uh, improved and i and i think it will but defensively i, th- I thought it was much better this year uh, i know the three-point percentage can be debated whether that's more luck or or whatever but that was better this year uh, i just like the overall flow of the defense uh and i think it kept indiana in games that maybe they didn't deserve to be in games so i, I think the progress there was was solid and we just need to see the same offensively
0: Mm-hmm. But in terms of in terms of scheme, in terms of defensive scheme, with what you've seen from the pack line, offensive scheme, what you've seen from Archie, you like the stuff we're running. You just want to see it with better players and or guys who just fit better. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. And I will, I will always give to coaches that they got to run their stuff. You know, I'm 52 years old and as ancient as they can be, I'd rather see motion offense. Uh, but even Matt Painter, who supposedly runs motion, runs d- double handoffs and ball screens and all that, that's just – that's the college game right now is dribble drive and, and isolation ball screens. An old guy like me, I don't like that. And oh, and us Indiana fans who grew up on motion would rather be motion. But So do I like what he runs? No, I like motion. But I respect the fact that that's his philosophy, and I think his philosophy will work. Um, whether I like it or not, and I really think the pack line with the emphasis on the drive is the way to try to stop dribble drive teams. And, and so, uh, you you look at what Illinois does, and, and they create havoc with their pressure defense, the old way pressure and get out passing lanes. And In Indiana a struggling offense torched them for ninety some points on the road because it opened up lanes and it let Indiana's athleticism take hold. And, and we weren't a good team, and we torched Illinois uh, and only turned the ball over seven times. And and the pack line will make you have to shoot the ball. And I I think it's good strategy. You just need better guys. And and, uh, I like coaches that have that philosophy and can win with it. Right now, Archie's not winning with it. He's got to win. Tom Crean had his philosophy of offense and no defense. I didn't like that, but that's his. Uh, And he won some and lost some. So, you know, you got to pick something you can win with. And and I do think this ultimately can win, and, and the jury's still out.
0: All right. I think that's a great note to end on, Coach. Coming up in our third segment, we are going to answer your questions, which include one about which rule changes we'd like to see most in college basketball and what the best dunk in IU history is. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call.
1: Tim Priller and I never miss an episode of the Assembly Call.
0: Make sure you never miss an episode of the Assembly Call or one of our world-renowned email newsletters by subscribing at assemblycall.com or by texting IU to 66866 right now. We send out a weekly IU news roundup even during the offseason, and after every game, we send out a detailed post-game analysis. Again, just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. Make no excuses. All right, Coach, it is time for the mailbag. All of these questions were submitted via our private IU Basketball Discussion Community, which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com slash community. And let's hit this uh, this first one here from Andy. He says, what rule changes would you like to see implemented? For example, four 10-minute quarters, 24-second shot clock, longer three-point line, wider or trapezoid lane. Thoughts? Pre-show, you had some really interesting thoughts on this at the youth level that I want to get to because I think you made some great points. But as we look at college basketball, what are some rule changes that you'd like to see?
1: I'm a big proponent of the quarters. And being a traditional guy, for a long time, I've kind of resisted that because college basketball is 20 minutes. Uh, but every game, the pro game, the high school game, is, is four quarters. I also like... The fact that you can reset the files and every file is a, a two-shot file instead of a one-on-one, on, a one and one uh, I, I like that better. Uh, the shot clock is fine for me. I guess the second one I would approve is maybe a longer three-point line, but there's enough problems with shooting in the college game that would, would that make it worse. Um, so those were the two that I think I would like to see implemented. It would, cha- it
0: would change the math as part of it. There was a great article by Kirk Goldsberry. If if people didn't read it, you know about you know some ideas to 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 kind of bring driving and the mid range game back into basketball, which is basically you need to make a three point shot a little bit less efficient, which means move the line out a little bit. He had a crazy idea about make it like baseball and allow every team to put the three point. This was for the NBA, but basically allow every team to put their home three point line at a different distance, which I thought was awesome and I would love to see, but it'll never happen. But the one that I thought was good is, you know, kind of figure out where's the shooting average in the league and just move the three point line back so that the average three pointer, the expected points is one, you know, one point because now it, you know, it starts to become more even with some of the two-pointers. And you you change the math a little bit, so what's a good shot changes and it you know, just kind of changes what happens on the floor. And I, I do – I think something like that would be a good change for basketball.
1: I do because we, we tell our kids, you're shooting a layup, you're getting fouled, or you're shooting a three, and we really want to discourage pull-up jumpers at the elbow, you know, go get a foul and and some shots to help us. So it's a three-point shooting contest, a free-throw shooting contest, and a post-move game and and that mid-range game uh, has been lost. So I, I like what you said about stretching That's that three point.
0: That's a shame. Because think about guys with great mid-range games and it's so fun to watch. You it takes so much creativity and 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 the ability to be good at different angles, not just <clears throat> you know, overpoweringly athletic at the basket or, you know, a good shooter. And I, look, I like all of it. I don't think three point shooting is ruining the game. I think watching guys shoot and make three pointers is fun. But man, give me all the flavors of basketball. So right. I, I think it'd be good to bring that back and let's you know allow the mid-range game to flourish again. I, I would be in favor of any of that. Let's talk real quick, and and this kind of goes along with that. You had a great idea for something that should be done at the youth level because of the impact and the influence of the three-point line. Let's talk about that real quick.
1: Yeah, you know I don't know what age, but I especially for your elementary age, primary age, and maybe sixth grade, seventh grade max get rid of the three point line. And therefore you, you, you don't have people, you know, trying to shoot during the games. And if, if you watch youth camp at anywhere, any level, uh, young, young players dribble out and they start jacking up threes and they have, they don't have the power in their legs and their arms and they're shooting from all different kind of angles. And then that muscle memory gets to be when they are mature enough at the eighth grade level, ninth grade level, uh, it's hard to break some of those uh, poor habits of elbow position and legs and, and all of that. And, and at that time, you're, if you're any good, you're playing varsity or junior varsity or freshman basketball and, and and the time to break down a shot becomes uh, extremely tough. And, you know, the, the lure of the three point line for young people, it's just, I think it's, it's dangerous. The other, the other rule is no zone and no press and trap in third, fourth and fifth grade, travel ball and youth ball Uh, play some man-to-man and if your high school coach or junior high coach wants to play zone they can teach you that and you need good man-to-man principles anyway but so much is about winning and scoring points that the fundamentals of the game are being lost at an early age and then it's just being hard to recoup those at the college level at the high school level as these kids have come up playing a certain way for a long number of years playing at that young age is great but playing the right way is even better
0: amen I agree with that. All right, uh, moving on to Tom's question. Looking into your crystal ball, will the leading rebounder on the 2019-20 team be a freshman? So seems like he's suggesting that it might be Trace Jackson Davis because he would be the obvious freshman. I don't think Armand Franklin is going to be leading the team in rebounding unless something goes Really wrong, <laughs> with the, or or Armand's just an amazing rebounder, uh, and, and I guess you know we have to see who they bring in. Although it doesn't look like any rebounders from the class of 2019 are currently on the recruiting list. So what do you think? Is Trace Jackson Davis going to lead us in rebounding? Because it's going to be as we've talked about before, and as we'll continue to talking about, continue talking about the way that the minutes shake out with Trace, Joey Brunk, Deron Davis, Justin Smith, and Race Thompson is going to be fascinating. Because you've got all good players that bring some really important skills, but they're all limited in different ways that's going to make, you know, how Archie chooses to put these lineups together interesting and probably a game-by-game proposition for him. But from a rebounding perspective, what do you think?
1: You know, you'd want to say Davis to start out because I think that's one of his strengths. But then Brunk, you know, called TJD the pogo stick, and and sometimes it's just about going and getting the basketball. So I could see – I could see him being that. Um, and, and Race Thompson, if he gets some play too, as physical as he is and athletic as he is, it's going to come down to who, who gets the minutes. Minutes, yeah. And, and, you know, there's a concept too in blocking out. Sometimes if you're the five and, and you're playing against the best offensive rebounder, your job may not be to rebound, your job may be keep that guy off the glass at all costs. We'll let the four and the three or the guards come clean up the rebound too. So there's some strategy involved with it too. Who Who's the best rebounder on the opponent? Who's going to be matched up with them more times than not? And, and sometimes that's always the five. And, you know, tell the five, hey, just block out today and, and we'll let Trace and, and Race go get the ball or Justin, the, the leapers, go get it. So I, I think it's going to be from that four position, whoever gets a majority of minutes at the four.
0: If you told me right now that any of those... This is what makes this a great question. If you told me it was any of those five guys, I would not be shocked. And I think, like you, I think it's going to come down to minutes. And so, you know, Justin Smith is an interesting answer to that question because if he can shoot, he can slide up and play some minutes at the three. And frankly, I think for Indiana to have the kind of season that we want to have... He needs to be able to do that. Because even if Jerome Hunter comes back and is healthy, you know, he's not going to be playing 40 minutes a game. You know, you're going to need someone who can, and yeah, you know, we'll be able to play some three guard lineups and that kind of thing. But I just I think, you know, Justin's ability to shoot, Race Thompson's ability to shoot are such huge keys for next year's team. I'm not saying they're going to have it. But they would just add new dimensions. And I think if either one of those guys can do that, they'll get more minutes and and you know they'd be able to compete for that. But I, if you had told me to bet money on I don't even know who I would go with. I'd probably pick a name out of a hat because I think you could really yeah. make good cases for all those guys. So it's a great question. Uh, okay, let's get to this question now, which is a fun one. This was tweeted out uh, by the IU Basketball Twitter account earlier today. Uh, and so Jeff references this in his question. He says, your selection uh, for the IU poll for the best uh, Indiana dunk. Uh, he says, we know Ryan's answer. Of course it would be the Marco Killingsworth dunk. Uh, but what is yours? And let me pull up. So they had the Oladipo dunk versus Kentucky, which was awesome. Killingsworth dunk against Duke. Will Sheehy's just incredible slam against Iowa. And then of course the Pritch slap against Minnesota. And there's a lot of, I mean, look, there've been a lot of dunks in IU history. Uh, Jeff actually put in a write-in vote for the holes to Oladipo lob, uh, even though it missed, just because it would have been insane. The greatest hypothetical dunk, the greatest missed dunk in the history of basketball, as we all know. Um, I'm going off the board for my pick, totally off the board, so I'll save that. Uh, but, Coach, what what of those four, which is your favorite dunk, and is there one on there that you would choose?
1: I, I actually wrote this down in case you need verification. I'm not making this up, but on my legal pad of notes here, Um, any dunk, uh, by Ray Tolbert. I know all you young guys out there, Jay and, and, uh, Ari and Aaron, you guys don't even know who Ray Tolbert is, but the dude can dunk. He dunked so well that I think on senior night, they asked him for one last dunk after he gave his speech and they got him a basketball and he was able to go out and throw one thunderous dunk down, uh, a young man from Anderson. So. That that's my age. Uh, of all of those, you, you got to go. I don't know who you Isla depot against Kentucky because it's, it's pretty Kentucky. awesome. Yeah. So if if I had to pick one of those four, that's who it would be. But I could I could sit down here and watch Ray Tolbert. You know, hours in the man cave. Man,
0: I have to say, even with the recency bias of this list, there's a couple OG dunks that need to be on there. That dunk he had against Michigan State, incredible. Uh, I think it was one against Maryland he had you know, pretty soon uh, before he got hurt that was incredible. So, I mean, there's a lot that you could put on there. Uh, I am going with a dunk that didn't actually happen in a game, but I'm going back to 1993. A lot of folks remember Chris Reynolds missed a dunk attempt, a breakaway dunk attempt in a home game against Illinois. Uh, Coach Knight was not too happy about that. During the senior speeches for that great class in 1993, uh, Chris said that he was going to try it again in front of everybody. He was going to complete that dunk. It was his dream before he left Indiana university. So Calvert Cheney picked him up and assisted him up to the basket so that he could make the dunk. That is my favorite dunk in IU history, uh, a legendary dunk. And, uh, but man, there've, you know, there've been some great ones. So you can't go wrong with any of those. I saw Troy Williams tweeted, Hey, you know, what, you know, kind of, what about me type thing? And it's like, Hey, you know, we only had four slots there. So. Any final thoughts, Coach, before we wrap up here in our final five seconds?
1: No, just keep hanging in there with the recruiting stuff. Don't look at uh, a miss as a loss. Uh, Look at it as an opportunity to bring someone else in who wants to wear Indiana on their chest and uh, stay happy. It's uh, always a good time to be a Hoosier.
0: That's it. We're done. No more questions. All righty, that's going to do it for us on this week's episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again to talk with you next Thursday night. Until then. Take it from me, Freddie Swain Jr. Keep your elbows in, your eyes on the rim, and man, go up and dunk the ball. Go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. We encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you.